Krug with LE 2.0 Radio. How are you? Happy Saturday to you. Happy, happy Saturday to you. Uh, welcome back to LE 2.0 Radio, where we talk about idealism and idealists, people working to create positive change in the world, and that would include moi. I am an idealist. Absolutely. True and true. As usual, we have a great show. And you know, this time, I don't have a guest, unfortunately. So I'm going to reprise something that I've not done for a long time, uh, the Ellie Talking Head Show. That's what we're doing. We're going to do a talking head show um, for the whole show. And so some minutes, some, I don't know, 48, 43, whatever minutes of me just sharing um, about what I'm finding in the world, also stuff that I'm doing to try and make the world better. We'll see how this goes, you know, this talking head stuff. Let us begin with this week's featured idealist and the organization that she's affiliated with. One of uh, the biographies for this idealist, her name is Marjorie Kelly, is that she's a, quote, modern revolutionary who wants to democratize economics, unquote. She is the author of several books, including her 2001 book, Uh, uh, titled uh, Divine Right of Capital, which is credited with helping to inspire the B Corporation movement. Now, you may know that B Corps are supposedly organized to higher standards than regular corporations, higher standards of verified performance and accountability relative to employee benefits, charitable giving, and supply chain practices. And so there are a number of B Corps. In fact, uh, one of my – what I – Clothing lines, Athleta, I think is a B Corp. Um, More recently, in September of this year, uh, Marjorie Kelly came out with another book titled Wealth Supremacy Versus the Democratic Society – excuse me, the Democratic Economy. Wealth Supremacy Versus the Democratic Economy. Uh, More about that book in a second. As best I can discern, there is not a Wikipedia page for Marjorie Kelly. So I've been doing a little bit of – no, a lot of homework uh, this morning. So all I've got are bits and pieces. What I can tell you is that she grew up in Missouri as one of eight children. Her grandfather founded during the depths of the Depression a tool and die business and um, her father continued that business um, uh, as uh, Marjorie Kelly was uh, growing up. Marjorie Kelly then attended the University of Missouri where she received a BA in English and a master's degree in journalism. And now this is interesting for me, okay, because um, uh, she's not an economist and she's writing about a lot of things relative to the economy. And the reason Marjorie Kelly is on my radar is, as you may recall, uh, several weeks ago, we had Rob Shetterly from the Americans Who Speak the Truth Project. Remember that? Well, uh, Marjorie Kelly is the subject of that project. She's on there. And uh, that's actually how I grabbed her name. So even though she's not an economist, I think it's fascinating that she's become a proponent for reforming capitalism. Marjorie Kelly has coined the phrase financial extraction. Have you ever heard of that before? I had not before I started doing this research. 
and and what what does financial extraction mean? It's it it's a term used to reflect how our current economic system works. That that system, the system that you and I are all part of right now, that seeks to help the rich get richer. You know the phrase, right? And it's true. It seeks to help the rich get richer at the expense of the bottom 95%. Now, remember, almost all the wealth in America is accumulated in the hands of the top 5%. And, and out of that top 5%, the top 1% has more than anyone else. So here are the, here are the many ways that you and I are living, okay, uh, because wages haven't kept up. Because now it's a two-wage earner economy in order to just survive. So two out of three households don't have $1,000 to fall back on for an emergency fund. Now think about that. I mean, it could be many of you that are hearing my voice right now, maybe seeing some of my image on YouTube. Um, You're in that category. And as a result, the vast majority have great financial insecurity. I mean, I'm, I'm actually incredibly lucky. I've got some resources. But I also have financial insecurity and I cannot imagine how great – how much worse that would be for me if I didn't have those resources. And so financial insecurity about the fact, you know, you worry is the water heater going to go out or is someone that we, we love, are they going to end up in the hospital triggering just like that? the $2,500 or the $5,000 medical insurance deductible, and there you go. Right away, you're in horrible debt, and what are you going to do? And then you've got the co-pays going forward. What are you going to do? So the extraction part of the phrase wealth extraction, according to Marjorie Kelly, occurs when corporations place stock price and profits ahead of the common good. Thus, people get laid off when there are downturns in the economy so as to keep the stock price of a corporation high. Other forms of financial extraction come with corporations extracting huge tax cuts in order to locate or build uh, onto a factory at a particular location. The company says, we'll put the factory here, we'll we'll build this thing, but you're going to give us $100 million worth of tax cuts that we never have to pay taxes for like 20 years. Well, somebody's paying those taxes. That would be you, okay? The corporations aren't paying, but now you're paying those taxes, okay, To, to subsidize the corporation. You know, and another way of wealth extraction is um, when uh, corporations engage in union busting because then the wages are depressed and the corporations making more money, greater profit. Uh, Marjorie Kelly advocated and advocates for investments changing from changing from Wall Street to Main Street, where the public owns various utilities, housing projects, and the like. She points out the fact – and I think that this is an excellent thing to bear in mind. She points out the fact that 85 percent of the public water supplies in the country – I would have guessed that it was like 99 percent. But 85 percent of the public water supplies in the country are are actually publicly owned. Can you imagine getting your water from a private water company? Can you imagine? At any rate – with 80, you know, the vast, vast majority of public water facilities owned by the public, that means if something goes wrong, you've got somebody that you can call up and hold accountable because they're, you know, they're part of the local government, okay? And so she also highlights how 
with uh, with city or community owned electric utilities. You can get the president of the utility to come to the public meeting versus have you ever tried getting the president of Excel where, you know, based in Minneapolis, but Excel is like all over, you know, the Midwest. Can you imagine getting that president to come to a public meeting, you know? So, so it's about accountability. It's about keeping things closer to the community, okay? Because then, then the community has a greater investment and be more willing to be efficient, be more willing to um, look out for the interests of all the community. Additionally, Marjorie Kelly highlighted how the city of Cincinnati bought 200 homes that were in foreclosure <clears throat> and created a program on how to teach renters to become homeowners. <clears throat> so rather than perpetuate a an under a lower class of folks who never are able ever going to be able to get out of renting and thus can't build any wealth of any type okay because the classic way of building wealth in America other than the stock market right now and there and there are a whole lot of people that cannot invest in the stock market the classic way of creating wealth is you buy a home and it appreciates and then you have some wealth to go and retire on or to pass on to your children Marjorie Kelly is also associated with an organization called the, Demo- the Democracy Collaborative. And under About Us, the Democracy Compl- Collaborative describes itself as this. Imagine for a moment a different world, a world in which teachers, construction workers, nurses, and home care workers are valued for their contributions to society, a world in which we, the people, make decisions about how to allocate resources, not wealthy CEOs, massive corporations, or corrupt politicians. Building that world is at the heart of what we do at the Democracy Collaborative because we can all feel what isn't working in our world today, the multiplying and intersecting crises of inequality, climate change, and systematic racism are taking an intense toll, an immense toll on our planet and people. We feel the oceans warming and we see the enrichment of the richest few in plain sight. The system is broken and it is leading the planet to disaster. So part of the democracy collaborative's work is to create a democratic economy around climate and energy programs, employee ownership of corporations and healthcare. Now, I am sure that many pursuing uh, the democratic – sorry, Ellie, it would be really good if you read the show notes exactly how they're written. That's what you get with me. Sorry, not as professional as Rachel Maddow by any stretch. <laughs> now I'm sure that many of you, if you go and peruse the democ- uh, Democracy Collaborative's website, you might scream socialism as you're looking at the website. Um, but what – I'm going to ask you, what is the alternative? Capitalism, at least in the form that is currently practiced in the United States, is just outright predatory. It is not working. The gap between CEO pay and regular worker pay is outrageous. For example, in 2022, CEOs were, were paid 344 times, 344 times more than what the typical worker made. In contrast, in 1965, that gap was only 21 times um, as much. And CEO pay generally has skyrocketed nearly 1,500%. Since 1978. And something dramatic has to be done to change the system. 
It's just not sustainable in its present form. It's not. It's going to fall apart. So be aware of Marjorie Kelly and what she's trying to do relative to democratizing our economy. I may in turn try and get her on this show. Google her name. She's got a great website and read up on about this great idealist. Okay. That's all I've got for her. When I come back, I'm going to want to talk about another idealist, Frank Bruni, who writes for the New York Times. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. It's a talking head show. I hope you're enjoying it. If you like what you hear, go visit my website at elliekrug.com. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. And we're back. Ellie Krug with Massey Star. Mm. Huh. Okay. All right. So I want to turn to another idealist, okay? Someone that I have been following for at least a decade, if not longer. It's New York Times writer um, Frank Bruni. And as I've intimated, okay, he has been writing for the New York Times since 1995. He is a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill where he received a BA in English. There's a trend here in this in this show today about people with English degrees going and doing great things in the world. And then after Chapel Hill, uh, UNC Chapel Hill, he went on to go get um, uh, a, a graduate degree in journalism from the esteemed Columbia University. He started out at the New York Post and then he went to the Detroit Free Press where he covered the Persian Gulf War. And then he wrote about LGBTQ plus issues and the AIDS crisis, okay? That was in the <clears throat> early 90s. As I said, in uh, uh, 1995, he got on with the New York Times, and he was assigned to its Washington bureau, which included following George Bush on the campaign trail as he made his stumbling way into the White House. And for several years, Frank Bruni was the New York Times food critic. And then later, he became one of the paper's op-ed columnists. In 2021, he left that role as a regular columnist to go teach journalism at Duke University. However, he still puts out a weekly newsletter, which I receive, and he is also still pens an occasional New York Times op-ed. He is also the author of several books, including a book uh, titled Ambling into History about George Bush's campaign and a book titled uh, Born Round. It's his memoir. He's also written uh, with Eleanor Burkett a book titled A Gospel of Shame, colon, Children, Sexual Abuse, and the Catholic Church. So obviously Frank Bruni, well, well-rounded, well-versed, of course he titles his memoir Born Round. Um, and so uh, – and I'm talking about him for two reasons. First um, – uh, his, it's his newsletter that showed up in my inbox on uh, this week. Um, the newsletter begins with a piece that's titled, The 2024 Election Cannot Be About the Price of Gas. And in that piece, he writes in part, quote, to spend, a little, to spend more than a little time toggling between news sites of different bents is to notice a fierce debate over the American economy right now. 
Which matters more, the easing of inflation or the persistence of prices that many people can't afford or accept? Low unemployment or high interest rates? On such questions may the 2024 election turn, so the litigation of them is no surprise. It's just – it's not just the, the economy, stupid. It's the public relations war over it. And then he goes on to write, quote, But never in my adult lifetime has that battle seemed so agonizingly beside the point. Such a distraction from the most important questions before us. In 2024, it's not the economy. It's the democracy. It's the decency It's the truth. What a great writer. Oh, my God. He goes on to talk about how, as Liz Cheney's new book, just out this week, okay, highlights, almost every Republican is a coward when it comes to Trump. He also writes about how Trump has become scarier and scarier, including with, as I noted at my last show, you starting to incorporate the word vernum, vernum, geez, L, come on, vermin. (laughs) Uh, This is why you love Ellie Krug, isn't it? (laughs) Trump using the word vermin to describe anyone who opposes him, okay? I mean, remember, you know, I'm a unifier, not a divider, okay, but, but, you know, grouping people and classifying them way, this, I mean, that is... It's the precursor to erasing them. And I think, I think that pointing out that economic arguments are irrelevant in 2024 actually is fairly brilliant by Bruni. I do. Trump regaining office won't change the economic standing of the bottom 95 percent. It won't. But certainly it will change the standing of freedom in our country. It will. So the next time somebody wants to get into, oh, yeah, but, you know, Biden's driving the economy into the ground, whatever, I, just tell them that's, that's be, you know, that is irrelevant. 2024 is about whether we have a 2026. That's really what it's about. It really is. But putting all of that aside, there's a second reason why I wanted to highlight Frank Bruni. He's a humanist and someone willing to be vulnerable. For example, his memoir, Round, um, Born Round, talks about his weight issues and eating disorder and about shame and about being gay. <clears throat> a year ago, he penned another book, uh, The Beauty of Dusk, on vision lost and found. And in that book, he writes about having suffered a mini stroke in one eye and how that <clears throat> shaped his perspective about going forward in life. And by the way, I have a very dear family member, friend, okay, who had the very same instance. He had a mini stroke in his eye and he lost the sight of his eye. And here's an excerpt that Frank Bruni gave to CBS Morning News about his book, The Beauty of Dusk, and about um, his experience. Now, note, trigger warning, Bruni's going to talk here about the need to inject medicine into his eye. It's not graphic, but I just so want you to know because he's talking about putting a needle in his eye. All right, here's the clip. And the first one involved injections into the eye, which are are about as pleasant (laughs) as they sound. Um, And the other one, I actually had to learn to inject myself twice a week for six months. But here's the thing. I mean, that sounds, you know, people wince. It sounds terrible. 
I got through all of that. And mm. as a result of that, and this is really the message of the book, as, as a result of that, I learned not how weak and fragile I am, mm-hmm. but how strong I am. Mm. And I think we're all a lot stronger than we realize. Yeah. Well, so w- wisdom is always hard won, but it usually does not involve an injection into the eyeball. <laughs> That's right. That is That's a right. pretty high hurdle for wisdom. Uh, but, right. but talk a little bit about what else you learned emotionally and philosophically about life. I mean, in the title, Dusk does not mean literal dusk. It means more than that. No, dusk refers sort of the length of a human day. And I feel that when you get an affliction like this um, early-ish in life, it's sort of like a foretaste or a preview of aging, of old Mm. age. Um, And it forces you to make a decision about whether you're going to focus on what's been taken from you, on what's been lost, on your limits, or whether you're going to focus on all the potency you still have and what remains. I think that's a challenge, a kind of fork in the road that we all encounter when we're aging. And I think it comes to you earlier. Okay. And why do I share this clip with you, okay? I share it because what Bruni says is profound. And he's right. We can all dwell on what we've lost, uh, like part of one's eyesight. Or instead, we can focus positively on what lies ahead. Now, for someone like me, like Heli Krug, who lost a great deal when I transitioned genders, these words... Bruni's words have touched me, okay? They ring so incredibly true. And Bruni is right that we humans have the capacity for great grit and resiliency. We do, everyone. We do. All of you who are listening to me right now, all of you have had setbacks. All of you have struggled at one time or another. Maybe you're still struggling right now. But the truth is, we do have that choice of whether we focus on what we have lost or the feelings of loss or whether we focus on what's ahead because you never know what great things may lie ahead. All right. At any rate, I thought for, ta- for this Talking Head show, I'd share about Frank Bruni, who clearly shows up urging us to be the best possible version of ourselves, both as humans and as Americans. Okay. There you have it. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about me being on the school board because I have not given you a school board report in a long time. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. If you like what you hear, go. I'm still on Twitter at Ellie Krug. I don't know how long I will be on there still, but follow me if you want to, or go to go to Facebook and follow me. I'll be back in a second. Thanks. We're back, Kelly 2.0 Radio. Okay, so um, Frank Bruni, you know, he's got a newsletter. Just go Google him, sign up for the newsletter. It, it, it's free. It doesn't cost. He's, he, he talks about a lot of different things. 
just incredible stuff. And so I can't say enough about it. You know, I, I, you know, yes, I love the New York Times. I do. I support them. I pay, you know, yes, say what you will about the Times <clears throat> because it's, you know, it's hit or miss with a lot of things. But um, anyway, Frank Bruni, I don't think is. I think he's always on the money. <clears throat> All right. So, okay. Talking head show. So hope, are you getting too much of me? Is it okay? You know, if, if this is too much, just email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. Let me know if it's too much and I won't ever do a talking head show again for a while. I don't know. So, um, you know, and the truth is it, it's difficult to line up guests all the time, okay? Particularly when you got a bunch of other things going on. Anyway, okay. So hold on, all right? And so I want to talk about school board. I have not given a report for a long time about school board, and um, I want to I want to do that. So, uh, to to kind of for those new for those hundred or so new listeners for the very first time here, um, let me recap a little bit about uh, what it is I'm talking about. So, <clears throat> a year ago, I was elected to the school board of my. Uh, school district, Eastern Carver County Schools, District 112 here in Minnesota. I ran a campaign um, in a purple county. Um, Everybody knew I was transgender. Um, Out of uh, 12 candidates, um, and there were four slots open, out of 12 candidates, I came in third after the two incumbents who were reelected. And the fourth candidate who came in and first fourth candidate elected was one of of four conservative candidates who had been running for uh, you know to have like a whole block of conservative candidates on the school board, and so that candidate, uh, his name is Joe Scott, he was elected as well. So the school board, as we we have seven school board members out of the seven, two are two are new rookies. That would be me and Joe Scott. <clears throat> And um, and why did I, you know, why did I run? I, I ran, first of all, to serve the community. I mean, it is, a, it is about public service. And I've never, never ran for elected office before, although I've run for things I had to get elected to, like, you know, presidency of the HO, you know, you know the uh, Homeowners Association. I've done that three times now. Um, but never to, you know, public elected office. But I wanted to serve the community. I believe in doing that. And, you know, I'm going to be 67 years old. There's not like, you know, a whole lot of time left. So, Ellie, you gotta do, you're either going to do it now or never. I also ran um, to make a difference in the world, okay? A positive difference. I did. You know, and that difference was infused in part with my desire to protect those who lack voices. You know, because we... I mean, it is, you know, still a society where, you know, if you're white in skin color, if you're Christian in your religion, you know, you have a religion versus you don't believe, okay? Um, If you're male, um, you know, all of that is dominating in our society. And there are a lot of people from a lot of different communities who are on the other side of things, you know, who represent marginalized groups. And so I ran... Well, I, I ran to serve everyone, of course, okay, even those I just described in the dominant group. But I, you know, I, I have the unique experience of having gone from the top of the pyramid where I had all of that privilege to now, you know, identifying as a transgender woman and um, actually a woman who 
happens to be transgender. And both of those groups, okay, women and trans folks are marginalized in our society in a variety of ways, okay? And so I had those goals, serve the community, make a difference, protect those who lack voices. And I think, okay, I think I've accomplished, you know, I've been working and I think that I've been serving both of those purposes, but not without some bumpiness, okay? And, you know, you've got to take, I mean, if you've been listening to this show, you know that, I mean, you know that I'm a former trial lawyer for almost 30 years you know that I'm passionate about a lot of things, but passionate about protecting humans, about, you know, and about, you know, trying to make this world better. And 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 the bumpiness <laughs> has come from those passions. It really has. And I'll give you an example of 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 how this bumpiness has shown up. So, you know, it it is, in my view, a cockamamie right arrangement the way school board meetings in Minnesota, not just in my district, but across the state, the way that school board meetings go in Minnesota and the way they generally go in a lot of other places. And that is the public wants to come and have input to the school board. They get three minutes at the podium and there's a timer. There's a clock. As soon as they start talking, somebody hits a button, you know, and when it hits three minutes, it starts beeping, beep, 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 beep. You get three minutes to stand at a podium to talk to the school board about what it is that you know, you think is important about why you want the school board to focus on what it is that you brought to the, their attention. And the system is the school board do, can't ask you any questions, can't, can't respond in, in any way. They just look at you as you're saying that. That, in my book, is cockamamie. It is. I mean, how in the world can you have true engagement? But nonetheless, those are the rules. And, you know, Ellie, you got elected and you buy into those rules. But I'm going to give you an example about how I've created problems, okay? And that is, you know, earlier this spring, I mean, you may recall, my regular listeners, that for more than a dozen years, my school district um, was graduating its two high schools at an evangelical church. Evangelical church that was intolerant of LGBTQ people, intolerant of Black Lives Matter, intolerant of people who were divorced, okay? Didn't believe in divorce. And so earlier this spring, we had a student who was going to graduate. He was transgender. He came to – very eloquent, came before the school board at this you know three-minute thing. He talked about how it was wrong to be graduating from that church and said – because he felt unsafe, he wasn't going to walk. In other words, he was going to forfeit his um, graduation ceremony because we were having the graduation at a place that marginalized him, that made him feel unsafe, lesser as a human. He says that. Now, remember, school board members can't reply. You know, it's just nobody says a word, Okay. But at the end of every school board meeting, and I'm on to this now, okay, at the very end of every school board meeting, there's this sharing. Each school board member goes around and shares about their experience with the school board that week or whatever, you know. And usually the sharing is I went to the, you know, football game, hey, we won, or I saw the debate team win, way to go, debate team, or I went and saw the play and I love this school district, da-da-da, okay. That's historically the way it's been. And on this day, this night, when this student came and said that, we went through the whole I, – I was like the last or the next to last person to speak. 
And when it was my turn, I said, I'm sorry, I don't have anything happy to say. I just want to acknowledge that student who came and who's not going to walk. And I think it's appalling that that's the situation we've put him in. I think that was the word I used, appalling. It's, <laughs> and I've been making statements like that in a variety of settings. And it's, that's what's created some problems for me. Okay? It has. Um, so I've, I've gained the reputation as a maverick, as being unpredictable, as somebody who cannot be trusted. Uh, the other school, all the board members, they're nice people. They're committed. They've got great intent. But as recently as this week, at a little bit of a session we had about board, um, board self-evaluation, it was made clear to me that I'm not trusted. Not trusted and maybe I'm going to say something that's going to be contrary to what they want to accomplish. Maybe it's going to be contrary to, you know, keeping all the waters calm and not creating problems for people, making people uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I clearly cannot be trusted. Although the irony is Joe, Joe Scott, the conservative board member, the one that I'm not supposed to get along with, who I've become friends with, I think he does trust me. Okay, I think he does, you know, and you remember I said I set out to protect voices. So we we did get the graduation ceremony move from the evangelical church. It'll be at Target Center in in June of 2024. We got it moved. We protected students and educators because our educators are required to expected to go to the graduation ceremonies. And many of our, you know, a percentage of our educators are LGBTQ. Um. I have been able to continue speaking to our LGBTQ students, going into classrooms and sitting and talking with them about, you know, the the need to love yourself, <laughs> you know, the need to, you know, the need to to understand that they have worth and value and all that. I mean, some of the stuff that Frank Bruni was saying. Okay, um, you know, and uh, and I've had people come up to me in public, like at Target, and say, Ellie. I am so happy that you're on this school board. You know, and what I'm reading into that is, Ellie, I'm happy that you're there because you are a buffer for me. Ellie, you're there because you offer a perspective that is needed. Ellie, you're there because I think you're tough. And we may need you to be tough. Now, that's not been accomplished without me having some very, very harsh words with a number of people off the record. Okay, and um, and and in some respects, I have not been the Buddhist, compassionate and kind Buddhist that um, I hold myself out to be, and I'm, I've got to work on that. Okay, but part of the problem is when I, you know, when I'm feeling as if I'm getting attacked, mar- being marginalized, being lessened. Okay, it is really, it's just, it's hard to come back with compassion when it sounds as if. Somebody is saying, you absolutely do not matter at all, okay? It, it's so but – but I've got to work on that. And what have I learned? What else? I've learned that it is not easy, okay? That you cannot be an idealist. You cannot affect change. You're not going to do it without ruffling feathers. You're not. You're not going to do it 
by, oh, kumbaya, let's all have get-together and all that. You're not going to do it because people are comfortable in the way that they are. And frankly, throughout systems, okay, those ways in many ways are marginalizing to people who have never ever been able to have a seat at the table ever. And so it's, it's not – it is not what I expected it to be, okay? It's not. I thought that it would go more smoothly. I did. I did you know, I've, I've come to find that the education system is not entrepreneurial. It's not as imaginative as I absolutely believe it should be. Again, you're getting previews of other kinds of things that may be coming up. I, so it's – yeah. But you know what? I'm glad that I'm there. And I know that there are people – Maybe some people hearing this voice right now who are glad that I'm there, okay? And that's really what matters because I think I am doing good. I think that I am affecting change. I don't care. Think of what you will of me, all right? Think of it, okay? But I know this. I'm making all of you think and maybe think about things that you haven't thought about before, right? That's good, right? Okay, I got to take a break. When we come back, um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about other work that I'm doing. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively, I think there are only seven or eight transgender, maybe there are more now after the most recent elections, but certainly last year, only seven or eight transgender school board members in all of America. But I happen to be one of two in Minnesota. The other one is on the Minneapolis school board. So there you go. All right, when we... You didn't need to know that. When we come back for our break, I'm going to talk about a little bit more about my work. Uh, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. Thanks. And I'm back. Ellie 2.0 Radio. I've got barely three minutes to tell you a couple of things. One is... If you do follow this show, you know that I tape it on Fridays, okay? So you're hearing it on Saturday. I tape the day before, unless I come live like I did a couple of weeks ago. Um, so if you're on Facebook, because we are Facebook Live right now, and if you are on Facebook, just FYI, I'm going to be at the Mixed Blood Theater in Minneapolis tonight. There's a They have a series of interviews. Of, they call them the Zellius Hellions. Interviews. Apparently, I'm Zellius and a Hellion. And so that means I'm going to be interviewed on a stage in front of an audience. Now, uh, Mixed Blood has, they have a sliding scale fee. If you can't afford, you can still go in. But it's also going to be online. So if you don't want to trek to downtown Minneapolis, but please do if you can, okay? But if you don't want to, you can go online. All you have to do is go Google Zellius Hellions Mixed Blood, and you'll be able to find the link uh, to register to come online tonight. So there you go with that. And then for those who are interested, because I'm getting increasingly uh, increased requests, Ellie, when are you going to speak in public? We want to come and talk to you. Come watch you because many of my talks are closed loops where it's just an organization brings me in. It's just for their organization, not the general public. Okay, so on December 10th, that's a Sunday, at 1045, uh, for an hour, I'm going to be speaking at Christ the King uh, 
uh, Lutheran Church in Bloomington, Minnesota. I'm going to be giving my Gleaning Authenticity talk, uh, which is partly my story, partly a talk about the power of human authenticity, partly about how we all have moments of truth and whether we pivot from those moments or whether we squander those. So that's going to be on December 10th, Sunday, December 10th at 1045 at Christ the King in Bloomington. You don't have to be a member of the church to come. Public can go to that, okay? All right. Lastly, um, I've been working on the book, the book that never, ever ceased, you know, uh, my work has dropped off, so December, almost nothing other than these things I've just told you about, and January, nothing until the end of January. So I have gone back to my book, and I have got to tell you, I love it. I love writing. I do. It is such a gift to me. Not that the writing is all that great, but it's just I love putting sentences and ideas down on paper well, through a computer. I just, it, just don't get me started. All right, we got to go. Big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson, who's had to do a little bit of math today. Thank you, Brett, so very much. Listeners, thank you for tuning in, and thank you for grabbing the podcast off of Spotify or wherever you get it. Please let others know about it. Please do that, um, because I want to take this show national, of course. Um, and between now and when you hear my voice next, will you do me a favor? Will you go out? And do something, something to make the world a better place. Will you do that for me, please? Okay. Ellie Krug, over and out. Bye. Bye.